Hi, Kyle. My name is Sonia. I'm from Argentina. I live in Oregon, and I am about to head to El Salvador for some Thanksgiving waves, hopefully. Anyway, your show is amazing. I really, really enjoyed the episode on plastic pollution. thought it was super enlightening. And your comment on the airport doors almost made me spill my coffee. I had to laugh so hard. Anyway, keeping awesome. Get some waves. Thanks for doing what you do. I had a dream last night. Maybe it was a nightmare that the day of the motherfucker awards all of the comedians canceled and i had to go around la and cajole open micers to take their place i woke up in a cold sweat so the stress dreams have begun <laughs> and it's all coming together uh Thankfully, I don't think that'll happen. Down here in L.A., uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm producing a comedy awards show with my buddy Chris Ryan called the Motherfucker Awards, where we celebrate the companies that have fucked Mother Earth the hardest in 2018. And we get comedians to give Academy Awards-style acceptance speeches on behalf of the companies. December 4th in Inglewood. Uh, tickets are still available at themotherfuckerawards.com. Uh, or you can click the link below this episode on your phone. Get tickets there. Thank you so much to... Corey White for upping your donation on Patreon this week. This is an ad-free podcast, and I rely on people like you to keep it that way. So thank you very, very much. Uh, this episode is with Cassia Miador. She is uh, a, an amazing human. Uh, we've had a lot of mutual friends, uh, but haven't had ch- hadn't had a chance to connect until this conversation and it just flowed it's nice when conversations flow and you forget that you are even recording a podcast a uh, very multi-dimensional interesting woman incredibly talented longboarder uh i've been watching her surf ever since i was a little kid uh we mentioned it in the podcast one of my favorite movies uh all-time favorite surf movies is the fifth symphony and she has a great part in that. If you haven't seen The Fifth Symphony, I recommend checking it out. Um, other than that, you can always get in touch with me on Instagram or leave a comment on my website, kyle.surf. That's where I have a book club. You can see all the documentaries I've made, podcasts. Uh, it's a good place to, um, to leave a comment or on my Patreon page. I always respond to, uh, to people on there. Um, but other than that, you're going to love this episode. Uh, Cassia also owns Cassia Surf, which is a, a women's um, brand. You can check that out. And uh, you can always leave voice memos. I'm tired, guys. I'm, I, I had a restless night. And now I'm sitting on the floor of a living room uh, in Venice at a friend's house in my boxers. And I'm drank drink five cups of coffee today and I'm still tired but I'm jittery so I'm gonna stop talking but uh I hope you're all having a wonderful day and I'll see you soon so please welcome to the show Cassia Metter (laughs) 
Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. You know, we, we live in California, um, up in Oregon. There's so many places with dense fires all the time. And fire is necessary as a balancing act in nature. I mean, there's some trees up in the redwoods up in Northern California. Those trees actually don't grow without fire because it helps actually open up the seeds to then spread and, and create more trees. That said, I mean, with the massive human sprawl around, um, you know, I think animals could far easier get out of the way. Yeah. A fire back in the day. And now they have fences to cross that we've put up. Um, people have their own fences that they build around their houses, um, you know, houses, properties. Um, there's just so much destruction and fire is its own living force. So there's also no stopping it. That said, there is this interesting like regenerative aspect to pro- to fire you know it helps to like regenerate the soil many people that practice more biodynamic farming um you know burn the fields after to help regenerate those nutrients and in kind of the urban sprawl time that we live it's just so destructive that it's really hard to see the positive benefits of what fire can bring when you're losing lives and families are losing homes, losing everything, losing memories, losing each other, losing animals. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you yeah. said about property boundaries, how mm. we create these lines that we deem as my property, this city, uh, this highway, but nature doesn't abide by those lines. As you said, the, you know, there are a lot of uh, animals that migrate and they have a hard time migrating if there's a highway in the middle of it, right? So we, we build a line not respecting a kind of migration pattern. Or another one would be the way a river flows from the mountains down to the ocean uh, and fire as well. It doesn't respect these lines. So we're kind of like, in a lot of ways, we've created these cities not necessarily respecting those lines. And then we pay the price for it as a result. Absolutely. And then we blame it on nature when nature is just doing what nature does. And part of our imbalance with nature and and part of our cause of all of it, it's like not taking accountability and responsibility, choosing to build in floodplains and then being so, you know, devastated, selling homes that are cheap and floodplains to people. Um, you know, and then having so much devastation. Yeah. I was at, uh, I, I went to Louisiana, uh, a little over a year ago and I was driving on the highway and you know, when people were talking about Katrina, uh, there was a lot of talk about the levees failing and I never really thought about like, what is a levee? What does it mean when a levee fails? And I was driving along this highway and there were all these houses to the left of me. And then there was the levee, which is a big dirt bank to the right of me. And I could kind of see over it. And the ocean was four feet above the highway. 
So I was like, oh, that's what they mean when the levee fails. It's just this little slice of dirt. And when that goes, this whole area is underwater. Yeah, and just the responsibility that people acted on to create that, for what reason? We don't need to live there. People don't need to live there and be put in harm's way. Um, and for what? To sell property, to sell houses? Is it for ease? And then also to be able to trust that and sell people and their trust on the safety of that. Also knowing like we exist on a, you know, beautiful earth that's spinning through space at crazy speeds and there's like things hurling around <laughs> right. us at all times. Yeah. So really like safety at any time is... Um, an illusion. Yeah, it's all in the head. Yeah, it's all in the head. That said, like, you know, I think there's far more responsible ways we can act as people and a lot of these disasters. And I'm not the last thing I'm trying to sound is insensitive by any means. It's not about being insensitive. I'm like, feel so much for the families and the peoples and the lives that have been lost and the properties and the animals, everything that's been lost. That said, it's just kind of calling out to us that we can exist in more harmonious ways. It's like, a lot of some of the ancient peoples of certain lands know when there's a floodplain, know when not to build in them. It's like by respecting those people and honoring those people and, and sharing in their wisdom and understanding, listening to the earth, understanding how we create, what we're creating, where we're trying to put these lines. You know, the amount of deer I see on the side of the road just driving down Topanga, it breaks my heart. You know, and it's like, well, deer shouldn't be crossing the road. Well, we put the road there. Right. And, you know, when people are driving at crazy speeds, they're just being deer, you yeah. know, and, and they don't know what's up. They're just trying to, like, you live their lives. Yeah. Just like we're trying to live our lives. And when people are like, oh, these mountain lions are in our backyard and, like, we need to tag them. Well, there's not that many of them that are left because of us. There's also not, they're bridging those kind of like spatial planes just because they're thirsty and they're hungry and the droughts and the other things. It's like, let animals be animals. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I always thought it would be cool to be an ecologist if I was able to do life over again. It's always so fun going on a hike with ecologists because they're the ones that can point things out to you that make the hike so much more rich. And I love talking like geeking out about this kind of stuff because then, uh, like one of my favorite things to do is, is go on Google earth and try and find new waves. And one of the best ways to do that is to look up the coast and see what watersheds are going down to it and then try and predict what animals are going to be around that watershed and where they go in certain seasons. It's like, it's just so cool to, to start asking those questions because inevitably there's a thread that you pull on that just keeps going and going and going and it, it, you wind up in a really interesting place. Absolutely. It's so cool when you realize how everything harmonizes and how everything's balanced. And when we're living in harmony and balance, there's enough for everybody and you're avoiding more disaster. Things still happen, you know, 20% of, our world existing is chaos. And so there still is a chaotic factor to everything. That being said, I think the layers of actually disaster will be softened, you know, right. The extremity and the amount. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to sit down with a lot of the people who have lost their homes and interview them right now, because it's such a, I mean, you know, it's, it, in a lot of ways is like losing 
someone you love if there's if it's a house that you grew up in all these memories that you have it's like I feel that for people and on another level it's probably really liberating to be in a space that's so tragic and also feel like I'm okay and this is you know I'm talking to the people who who are okay and my heart goes out to everyone who's who's not but it's such a I don't know it's I've never had that happen and I'm I'm fascinated by that well it's interesting like 11 months ago my house in Topanga caught on fire oh, really? so yeah so I was homeless for 11 months it wasn't my personal home that I built um you know I didn't have insurance so the things that I lost but more so I lost my place to live mm. and then I ended up in this weird lawsuit with my landlord and I gave her all this money and all this crazy stuff happened I had no home for 11 months so I just this is the first time I've been living in a home since then what was it like uh for you and how did it catch on fire it caught on fire because there was a unmarked gas line um and i say unmarked or you could even say mismarked it was right next to a water line that looked exactly the same and when i was out of the country my friend went to go water the plants and thought he was turning on water because it didn't say anything otherwise and um it blew up with him in it and luckily he was not hurt there's no animals hurt whoa the rest of topanga didn't catch on fire you know and that was all through just sheer negligence of my landlord like were you, were you there when I, I was out of the country that's why my friend went to go water my plants because i had like been growing a lot of my own food i had a radical garden you know, it was heavy and I definitely went through a lot of emotions, but more so than anything, I was just grateful that the canyon didn't catch on fire, grateful he wasn't hurt. And it was liberating in this way. I mean, all the lawsuit stuff and all that crap just like was the worst, you know, and that made it heavier. But really, it just like showed me a lot about myself. It showed me a lot about what I don't need. It really helped to define, uh, uh, define like what was important to me, what was important to exist with. It taught me a lot about surrender and letting go. Um, yeah, it was such a beautiful lesson that now having look, you know, looking back, I'm super grateful to learn. And for a while I was just more shocked, you know, and I think it was just because of, more so if like the legal battle part wasn't in it right and the trust in her part wasn't in it um it would have been a different process that said i think you know just talking to friends and families that are up in malibu they're just like hey whether they lost their homes or not they're like dude i lost my stuff i feel like violated and at the same time i'm just grateful to be alive and will rebuild so the positivity of rebuilding, I was even with some friends last night that were just talking about like, as much as this sucks, a lot of people have insurance and we're a community. It's bringing community together in a tighter way. And it's giving us an opportunity to build in, you know, more sustainable ways like fire uh, power lines should not be above ground. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they were below ground, that stuff wouldn't happen. Most of the fires that have been happening lately are due to the, you know, PG&E. Yeah. Do you know that, you know that PG&E is, uh, I just read a story in the New York Times about this. PG&E is trying to pass a bill so that any costs, even if it's uh, at fault of their own fire, would go to the ratepayers. So rather than PG&E having to pay it, it's kind of like a too big to fail model, like we like the banks, like, yeah. well, the taxpayers will pay for it and the rate payers. You'll, so your rates will just go up. And it's a big controversy right now. But when you think about it, like, OK, we've 
we've attached electrical wire all around our worlds and some of it isn't being maintained and sooner or later there are going to be some sparks that fly out of it and it's pretty dry around these parts it's very dry and there's gonna be sparks it's basically setting up a disaster right you know and then when they don't want to put it underground because it's too costly you know what's too costly like human lives like put it underground also there's way more harmonious ways to get power right yeah it's like old paradigm stuff right there so i also think it's outlining the old paradigm well think about how ugly power lines would work would look if you grew up in a place with no power lines absolutely but it also speaks to how adaptable humans are that you know you can go into uh jakarta and there's trash in the streets everywhere but if people grew up with that it's normal like what is your normal uh and yeah i agree i think the decentralized power systems are where the world is going and now it's just a matter of how quickly we get there and how many people are gonna come along kicking and screaming that's it, you know, and I think when things like this happen and it's over and over again, like all the big fires that have happened are all due to the power companies and it's about us holding them accountable and us saying no, because actually they wouldn't be so big if we didn't continue to support them and not all power is going to go out. So there's a way for us to meet in the middle. And if we can like hold ground and hold our footing and be like, no, and support alternative means of power and alternative, more sustainable means of power, then there's like an opportunity for movement. Just saying, well, that's the way things are and they're not going to change isn't good enough anymore. It's never been good enough, but also like they can't keep on going back to saying that yeah because it's people there's technology as much as it's like brought us to some layers of destruction is also getting to a place where we can start to work with it for better solutions yeah. i believe and we're also in a place now where rich people's houses are hard burning down <laughs> you know that's unfortunately when stuff starts changing is when the the rich white people get affected by it Totally. And it's sad that it has to be at that space. And at the same time, it is there. And like, you know, luckily they have the means and stuff like that to rebuild. But there was a lot of like, you know, there was trailer parks that went down through this with like elderly people in them. There was so many more people affected than rich white people. Like the campfires up north were just like so devastating. Whole towns, you know, more deaths than any any fire ever in California. So it's just getting worse and worse. The population's getting more and more. And it is up to being accountable and responsible for those big companies to keep more lives, you know, um, from being taken. And also... There's just better ways. I mean, the old old paradigm is done. Like, it's just time to focus on better ways and, and to be hopeful. I think for all of us not to be broken by this and not to call something out as bad or wrong, just focus on better solutions, you know, because I think... Um, yeah. You know, people are like, oh, solar's bad because solar, like, look at the batteries and you can't like, we well, it's a step in a direction and it's getting people to think differently. You know, there's wind power, there's this, that and the other. So I think like nothing's perfect and it's all about being like, okay, well, these are all different options that are getting us to think in different ways. And through working with these different ways, there's going to be more solutions. There's not the best solution for a vehicle yet. You know, right. But what your point about uh, allowing people to think different is really good. I think about how like what is picking up a piece of trash from the beach really do? Eh, it's not going to save the world, but it's um, 
you're ascribing to a value set that then allows you to think in a certain way, which then can have tertiary effects. Similarly, if you're interested in solar, if you're curious about these kinds of ideas, sooner or later, uh, the best idea is going to come forward. Or like if you're jamming with a, a music group, like I don't play play music, but I imagine that... Uh, you know, if, if you're trying to figure out a new song with people, you're kind of like jamming, you're figuring out what is it? Okay, it's not this, it's not that. And you're like, oh, that's what we want, right? Or comedians, you know, a lot of comedians work in groups that are like, okay, I think there's this idea here that's funny, but I don't know exactly how to say it yet. And they'll be like, well, maybe it's like this. No, it's not like that. Or, uh, okay, here it is. Um, and uh, I think that that's, I mean, that really is one of the reasons why humans have evolved to the way to the place that we are is because of our ability to collaborate. Collaboration, adaptability, and also knowing what you don't want. Right. It's really important to know what we don't want. And what we don't want anymore is harmful ways to exist. And that's being shown by our oceans becoming more acidic, our bodies more acidic, our air harder to breathe. And just, you know, the, the, I don't know, just the destruction of our world, right. really. I mean, to sum it up. So it's like, we, we know what we don't want to do. Right. And like, let's let's start focusing on, you know, solutions rather than continuing to subscribe and to um, destroy and, you know. Sure. Are you, are you from L.A.? Yeah, born and raised in Los Angeles. You so I definitely here. grew up with the fires, grew up yeah. with the mudslides, grew up with all those little things. Yeah, I'm the, I'm really happy to meet you. I've known about you for a long time. I grew up with uh, the Fifth Symphony. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Fifth Symphony was my VHS. I'd get psyched to those black and white sections. And I was like, oh, awesome. I remember because I hadn't watched that movie in years. And I remember you had that section with the really beautiful... Uh, female vocals and it's like you at Malibu walking the nose and it was like it's such a I loved that movie who made that one um it was a guy Chad Chad out of um Kona on the big island yeah Chad Campbell that He's movie had rad. style it really did and it was like a cool time it makes me happy that you say that yeah. you know that that movie brings back cool memories and uh and yeah I'm just so grateful to have spent so much time in the water and having something like surfing take me around the world right and help inform my views you know being in the water so much definitely opened my eyes to our world in a different way it's interesting how that does it does for some people and it doesn't for others like, you know, you meet some people who are professional surfers and you're like, man, you're a ding dong. You really have not like you are so deeply immersed in the natural world and haven't pulled on that thread at all to ask what kind of plants and animals are in the area. What just any of that stuff. And then people meeting someone like you, it seems like it was just a natural progression. Like you have a curiosity that just led you down a path that got you into organic gardening and seemed like permaculture and sound healing and all just like all this interesting stuff that comes from that it seems like it would be a natural progression if you start to ask those questions out on the water absolutely yeah I'm, I'm grateful for that and I guess you know that comes back to like personality and what fuels you I think I was just always a curious person and that's how I found the ocean was through curiosity that's how I found surfing was through being curious and also going to school and like being like, wait, this is what we're here to do in life. Like we go to school and then we get married and then we have a job and then we die like that. 
it, there's way too much magic that exists that I can feel that exists that is just far surpasses that trajectory. Right. So it's like nothing to me made sense until I started surfing and then just like learning through that. And, and not to say the other way is bad because some people just want that and it's not a bad thing. It's just like, I knew that my like soul craved more experience and more expansion. And I think surfing really opened me up and, and started me on this path to learning more and then just having an opportunity to visit like all these developing nations since I was a kid, seeing how other people lived seeing some of other people's problems, other parts of the world's issues, um, seeing people sick, having my own family being sick from, you know, processed food and pharmaceuticals and, and Western medicine not working. I think it's through witnessing things that are broken, which really helped to push me towards focusing towards solutions, mm. you know? You have a big family? Um, not a huge family, you know, there's three of us, um, my brother, sister and I, and my mom and dad, and they're still around doing good, you in know, LA. but yeah, in That's LA, cool. but yeah, it's just like those, those kind of things just make you push, you know, my mom's been sick and Western medicine has been okay for her. Not great. I think there's just alternative solutions and I've seen a lot of people be healed by alternative solutions. So yeah. One that I always, uh, always preach is a boga for people who are, uh, have opioid addictions. Do you know much about this? Yeah, I do know about a boga, any bogaine, but I believe more so in a boga as it has that 13th spirit element. So I feel like by synthesizing different medicines, it's not necessarily, we're going back to the pharmaceutical aspects. Yeah. That said, some people want to do it in that way. Sure. Yeah. My dad's uh, making a documentary about it right now. Cool. And he, I mean, he's crazy. He'll come, well, uh, in, in Santa Cruz, we'll go out to lunch together and he'll be like, man, I interviewed this kid three weeks ago, full blown heroin addict, ghost, couldn't look me in the eye, but agreed to be in this documentary, goes to an aboga center, has this far out psychedelic experience. And it gets him off of heroin. And I, he, and he, he told me, he's like, and I interviewed him yesterday and he's a completely different person. And he's like, and my dad's, he's like, you know, 70 years old. He's been a filmmaker his whole life. And he's like, I've never come across anything like this in my entire life. It's really exciting. And, and that's the thing, like these, these plants, like the plant kingdom, so much wisdom, you know, teachers, and it's all coming out now to give people access to, you know, transforming and changing and healing. And it's just so amazing. And some people need something so strong, like Iboga. Iboga is one of the strongest substances in the plant world, really, and in those medicine worlds. And uh, yeah, it's exciting that there's just this out there now that really transforms and can transform people. And I guess it goes back to like what your heart wants. Like if you really want to get over it, there's ways to get there. Right. You know, nothing's going to do it for you. That said, there's ways to move towards different solutions and, um, the plants hold the wisdom. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Gabor Mate, who mm. says, uh, addiction is not the problem is addiction is the person's attempt to solve the problem. That's awesome. Yeah, I, love one. That. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, I guess even too, um, the guy who started AA. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, the third step was Bill, about Bill Wilson. Bill, Bill something. Yeah, Bill Graham or something. Bill Graham or something. Something, something like that. Wilson. 
But so, someone in their car is just screaming it out at us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> totally. But I mean, the third step was really about surrendering, knowing that we're, you know, I'm not going to say it exactly because I never worked with the program. I just have had a lot of friends in it f- over the years. But the third step was really about kind of surrendering to something larger than us, to spirituality. And he wanted people to work with psychoactive substances like, you know, psilocybin or... And he came back, so he started AA, went out, saw all of the potential that psychedelics have, went back, and they were like, we are so uninterested in anything you have to say here. Which I get, because I do think that it's, it's always important to talk about this stuff with the caveat that they're powerful and it's important to do very responsibly if you're going to and not be cavalier about it because I've seen some people also go down some dark paths with psychedelics where they don't take it seriously and they kind of just become like the equivalent of a seminar junkie where they just keep doing it and keep doing it and don't take the lessons out into daily life which is where it really matters that's it and that's like a form of delusion and illusion and it's also like staying asleep in that way if they're kind of working with it not as a medicine and they're not respecting it and they're working with it as something to like solve their issues rather than using it as a tool to help them navigate different spaces within themselves yeah you know and I think that that's the thing it's all about integration and also um you know I think a lot of those addiction issues come from larger things it's not about a substance like it's not alcohol that's got you it's not this that's got you like those things are keeping you but it's like maybe your fear maybe your fear in yourself maybe your fear of your bigness and what you could do like maybe you're scared to fail like whatever it is maybe you have some trauma I mean most of it's trauma based that happened to you in your life that you have never been able to talk to somebody to process it correctly so those tools can help open us up but really having supportive people around you and feeling open enough to communicate clearly with people and not feel judged, I think is like huge medicine for that. Yeah. I want to know about sound healing. Yeah. I love working with sound. Tell me about it. In that way, I really feel like it helps to open up a space for people to communicate more so with themselves, um, you know, their higher self. How does it work? Well, it's vibration. So everything in in the universe is vibration. Even our solar system has its own symphony, if you will. Our earth has its own frequency that it vibrates at. Every organ in our body, um, kind of going back to like Tesla stuff, he was able to tap into the frequency of a building and actually levitated at one point. It was called his earthquake machine. Um, so with everything really? having, yeah. Yeah, he was like arrested. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to fact check that yeah, one. Fact check that. <laughs> well, no, it, it comes into like tapping into the frequencies of everything. So yeah. you know, everything has its optimal vibration, its optimal sure. you know frequency that it vibrates at, and and that's why through sound and through tone and vibration, you can light things on fire, you can boil water, you right. can levitate. Things. Yeah, microwaves. Well, yeah, microwaves, but like, have you seen any of the somatic stuff or any of the studies? Actually, you can see it visually. They're able to like tap into certain frequencies and actually levitate objects. Really? Yeah. And they show it on TV. So like he was kind of tapping into that field. So he like picked it up and it, it fell, yeah. you know, but that said, if you wanted to look into some of that stuff, you can see people actually using tone and frequency mm-hmm. to levitate objects online and I I don't need to levitate objects I just want to get over childhood trauma yeah childhood (laughs) trauma so like in that you know as as we hold on and as we hold our feelings and we hold our emotions in our body they block energy from moving 
So it's like kind of that ancient wisdom of like patterns being blocked in different organs and different areas. And so maybe you have sciatic pain and you know, there's this book on like back pain by a guy called John Sarno about how it's all psychological, right? Yeah. The psychological aspect. So it's like through the energy working process or a larger, large amount of back pain is psychological, psychological. Totally. I mean, you get in a car accident, you're going to probably have some back pain and that's like not necessarily psychological. That said, like (laughs) it's all in your head, bro. Just get up and walk. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You like definitely got some physical stuff that happened. That said, bro, I think it's cause you didn't get hugged enough as a kid. That's why you got back pain. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, yeah, like you were in a car accident. (laughs) There's like things that are very physical, but you know, say some of the trauma from that car accident or some of that trauma is also linked to some childhood stuff you held in your body. And maybe that back pain 10 years later is still gnawing at you. And that's when there could be some, you know, emotional things still blocking it and holding on to it and, and keeping it in the body in that place. And that's where things like sound healing, like psychotherapy, talking about it, you know, hypnotherapy, those are all ways doing like past life regression, stuff like that. Those are all ways to get at it. And sound also helps to re-energize and re-pattern and, and recalibrate the body's optimal frequency. So it's, what does that look like? So I walk into a room and I'm getting ready for a sound healing session. Yeah. What happens? So you come in, uh, you lay down, we bring people into a deep meditative state, um, into like Delta Theta brain waves, um, and we you know, basically work with different sounds to like open people up and help to recalibrate and reharmonize things. And in that way, it's more like a bath. It's more like a cozy space where people can find that pattern, that vibration, um, and reharmonize themselves from the inside out. So, you know, I've had people come to our sessions that were like, yeah, I had so much anxiety. They were going to put me on anxiety medication. And I came to your sound bath. I didn't take that anxiety medication. And I'm like feeling better than I ever have. And they keep coming and they're bringing their friends and showing their friends. Like, you know, there's also people that work with sound healing and I'm not going to say it cures cancer cause I'm not going to say that, but it can help to break apart blockages. And some of those blockages are things like tumors, you know? So whatever it's kind of opening up, sometimes it doesn't feel awesome. Like sometimes it feels really uncomfortable. You know, sometimes your hip might hurt or your knee might hurt. And that's usually moving energy that may be stuck. And that energy, Energy could be stuck in a physical way. It could be stuck in an emotional way that's manifesting as physical. But usually like through your dreams and through processing with people after those experiences, you'll be able to kind of unlock maybe some of the psychological or emotional attachments to those spaces, you know? So there's actual um, machines, things like the amp coil that actually take specific tone frequencies and it'll give you like an organ recalibration. So they're actually working with scientists and tone and frequency to actually pinpoint certain things. So like pinpointing your lymphatic system, pinpointing, you know, and, and things like the amp coil have actually cured people from things like Lyme's disease. You know, it really helps with things like MS, like all these inflammatory diseases. So it kind of goes back to the whole idea in a way that everything was created through sound, tone and vibration, sound and light, um, and how we are light beings. Like we are all vibration, just like that lamp is over there. Like that leaf is, you know, we all have these waters moving through us. Water is a a beautiful, pure, um, 
you know something that carries sound through it so sure. that's why like because we're water beings we like bring it through us and in, in that way it's harmonious yeah i mean i uh i've never done that i would be interested to try it i would love to um one of the trippiest experiences of my entire life was doing breath work at a class called uh it's a, a practice known as transformational breathing and they laid me down on my back and i was in a group of other people and they told us to start breathing, doing this type of breath called circular breathing. So you go. So it was like a holotropic. It's like a holotropic breathing. Yeah. And you lay down on your back. I'm like, oh, this is silly. This is kind of some goofy hippies around here. And all of a sudden, my hands started to kind of claw up. Oh, you got curl. the claw. I got the claw. And then all of a sudden, I tripped my fucking balls off and was transported into the surgery room where I snapped my arm and was getting surgery and my arm started shaking and I started shaking and I started bawling crying like crying like I have never cried in my life for like 20 minutes then I got up I was like that was weird. Yeah, like what? what? <laughs> that was unexpected. Like what's in the air? Did you guys <laughs> dose us right. with something? And I was completely sober, and that was a good lesson to me that you don't need psychedelics to get to those places. And I, I think about that often because we were talking about heroin, and and what heroin and opioids do is they attach to a certain receptor in your brain that makes you feel that euphoria. So it's not actually the, it, it is the drug that's making you feel that in a way, but it's also just attaching to a receptor that has the potential to make you feel that way as well. And my brother's a firefighter and he says, you know, what we do uh, for people who are ODing on heroin is we give them a drug called Narcan, which has a stronger pull to the receptor than the opioid does. So it, it forces the opioid to fall off and people will wake up from an OD as a result of this drug that people use. And it always makes me think like, oh, okay, well, if we have that potential to feel all of these different states, maybe we don't need a substance to get there. And I think that, and I'm a believer, after having done that breath work and, and having talked to a lot of people who I believe who do uh, various meditation states, you can get there. And it is cool to be able to have that access to it and then not have the come down that certain drugs have. I think absolutely. You know, um, I've definitely had my fair share of psychoactive experiences in very intentional ways. That said, probably more people would assume that I would have had far more than I have because I actually have a really heavy meditation practice and I do a lot of sound work, a lot of breath work. Um, and I think that I get to are more grounded states of that same sort of understanding and have an ability to integrate it in my daily life a lot easier and I can access it whenever I want to as opposed to like you know going and sitting in medicine you know I'm, I think that there is an important aspect to that that said that's not the only way to get there you know yeah and there is something called the post psychedelic ego inflation Absolutely. You know, you see when people go and they stand on the top of that mountain and they think that they're God. And then after the fact, go around and they act like dipshits. Whereas yeah. I find that people who, who meditate on a daily basis are able to access that point of stillness and humility 
more easily. Yeah, and integrate it, you know, and because we're all here remembering together. And I like that idea, the word remember, because it's like about remembering why we're here, what we come from. And we're also remembering our whole beings, recreating ourselves through that process I of like learning that. together. That's a good one. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And, and the cool thing is, is there's just all these tools available and more and more tools available to us all the time. Like plant medicines are a tool that's available working, you know, but there's a lot of trust that has to be there. You have to be trusting the person you're working with that they can hold the space for you because there's a lot of navigation in that realm that is really intense. Why people come back with that over inflated ego, like why maybe they pick up some like astral debris, stuff like that. That said, like meditation, working with your breath, working with sound and other tools like that are more supportive and they have a little bit um, more integrity in that way because you're not relying on somebody other than yourself to get you there or something other than yourself to get you there. You know, people are still there holding space for you. So it feels safe. That said, it's just like, Hey, you have access to that every day with yourself. So you can also control it to a degree and you can navigate it better and integrate it better because it's a more grounded practice. Right. What have you been surfing lately? Well, I was just up in Oregon and got some real cute little waves. And um, I've also, it's so fun. Like I had a couple crazy concussions this summer. So I didn't surf a board, like a hard board for two months. Really? Yeah, it was gnarly. I've hit my head a lot. How? Um, On surfboards. Oh, really? Myself and other people. Longboards are they're freaking intense. So I grew up as a shortboarder and, uh, just this last year was the first time that I got a custom longboard shaped by Travis Reynolds. Oh, cool. He's the best. Beautiful. I love that. Beautiful single fin. And I have it down here and I keep it at my friend's house and I go out and have a blast at Malibu. But I never gave longboarding the credit that it deserves. Like you, you're on a tank. And you can so easily injure someone else or yourself in a way that shortboarding, you're just, it's so easy to maneuver that. I never felt that. Like I got on the longboard. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and hang 10. So I was like, oh, I've never really like hung 10 in my life. And that was a big goal of mine this summer. I was like, I'm going to get up to the nose. I'm like, but now that I'm up to the nose, how am I going to be able to turn this thing back? It's so gnarly. I mean, like you go surfing at Malibu on a crowded day in the summer, a set comes and there's like 20 surfboards flying at you at any moment, you know? And they're just like anything from like six pounds to maybe 50 pounds, Mm -hmm. you know, like really. And that's gnarly. I've definitely, so yeah, anyway, my injuries, um, then I got on a foam board and I was riding an 88 when I first got back into the water, like just so much fun. What's an 88? An 88 are these like foam surfboards that just don't have any fins on them. Oh, that's fun. So it was just so fun, like being totally out of control and not being able to hurt myself or somebody else with, with, you know, fins or hard surface. Right. And so that was kind of what got me back into the water in a safe way. And then also let me just let go of wanting to do anything. It was just like totally, you know, because after being out of the water a couple months, you're not really surfing like yourself. And like if there's a little bit of fear of hurting yourself again or whatever, like and then it's like I just wanted to like let go of everything completely and feel like a child again. And that was so much fun. I just was like tripping out. All I wanted to do was ride my 88. 
I was obsessed. You know, little like one foot days out here in Venice, I'd go out and hit the little left and just be like spinning all over the place, feeling like I went faster than light, even though I probably wasn't really going that fast, but it just felt like I was going fast. And it just brought that kind of like ultimate joy back into my heart in the biggest way. So that was epic. I've been writing that a bunch. Yeah. Well, when you don't have fins in a board, you can go real fast, real fast. I take my big wave boards out without fins. I have a nine, six Mavericks gun and I'll go out and surf it in little waves with no fins. And it's such a blast to be able to try and hold the, just use the rail and be forced to use the wave in ways that normally you can cheat it with three fins. That's it. Yeah. It's totally kind of like letting go and surrendering and like finding this whole new space in like no control. So that was rad. And then I've just been writing my logs and, you know, again, like writing logs. I've been going traveling a lot. So I've been at the mercy of like, I've decided not to take surfboards on my last two trips. Good for you. That was super fun because then I was just like riding whatever was there and it helped me adapt in different ways. Like, you know, so I feel like I'm in this kind of really like open space. And obviously I have the boards that I'm obsessed with and love and can't wait to come back after a trip and ride because they're just so fun. And and I feel like when I get on those, it's that much more expansive because I've like gone through this whole other remembering process. Right. It's been fun. That's cool. So um, you have your own company that you run and are sponsored by. How does that work? I'm not very familiar with kind of what you do and how that all, what do you do? Well, I'm trying to figure it out every day. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that girl, Rachel, she like really, I just asked her what to do all the time. No. Um, you know, I left, um, the big companies to start my own thing. And really it was about kind of like focusing on solutions, what I was talking about before. So I wanted to make wetsuits that were you know, lower impact and also wanted to like reimagine surf wax. Cause when I was a kid, when we were kids, you know, surf wax, you have like killer bees wax and it looked like a honeycomb. And then you'd have like bubble gum. Like you had all these cool waxes and then everything just got so kind of like streamlined. Like you could either have a square or a circle or it was this or that. And like, it just felt like it lost the flavor and the fun. So I make Palo Santo surf wax, which I'll give you some. Palo it's, Santo. Yeah. It's Does Palo it Santo. smell like Palo Santo? Exactly. Oh, I love that. And it's triangular and you can snap off a piece. So it's like ergonomic. That's I just cool. wanted to like reimagine things, you know, reimagine my life and reimagine like the things that I was like creating for myself and my friends really. Oh, I would love to try some Palo Santo. That's one of my favorite smells. It's so I have, so, I have a little uh, piece of Palo Santo. Santo bark or whatever in my uh, bathroom and I always light it and <laughs> put it around the living room. It's good. It's the best. And that's like one of those smells. Like they say s- s- scent is one of the most ancient like memory enhancing. That's um, also one of the, one of the strongest uh, senses tied to um, some scent. Smell is the s- strongest sense tied to memory. That's what's up. Right. So it's like the best, you know, yeah. like the first time I smelled Palo Santo, I was like, what? Like, where, <laughs> what? You know, so that's why. So I'm pumped that you dig it too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I made it like triangular. So you always have like a flat surface. You're not like trying to get like a circle down to where it's finally flat. And then not all of a sudden you're halfway over. So right. it's better to wax that way. Oh, I it's hate these- that. Yeah. There's, that's, that's a really good point. I hate it. As soon as you get past that half moon with sex wax, it's all downhill from there. It's all 
all downhill and it takes you a while to get to that half mile. That's another thing that I realized when I started longboarding. It takes a really long time to wax a surfboard. Dude, wax is a huge part of it. You know, yeah. if, if we can make it easier, it's way better yeah. for us. Yeah. Sometimes I look at a longboard. I'm like, should I longboard? I'm like, it's going to take a while to wax that thing. <laughs> Seriously, dude. You might be like an extra 15 minutes, right. you know? I ain't got time for that shit. Don't got time. The waves are good. Tide's going out. Um, so that was cool, you know, and then I wanted to make wetsuits that were just made better, last longer, warmer, you know, funkier, cooler, vibier. And then it was like about making wetsuits that were like, you know, created in a lower impact way. So our new collection was created with like sustainably mined limestone, like neoprene, which is not all neoprene has limestone in it to a degree, you know, um, but there's just less petroleum than limestone and it's, um, you know, uh, sustainably mined also um we partnered up with these guys from um it's called suga yoga because i really wanted to create a space to recycle wetsuits i mean like we know as surfers you have this whole stack of wetsuits even like cuttings from the you know your wetsuit manufacturer like all that stuff is just thrown away or wetsuits are thrown away so it was like a way for us to kind of like you know work with a partner so to co-create because we love like working in community and to give people and ourselves an opportunity to upcycle old wetsuits or our cutting room scraps so we work with brian at suga and now we make yoga mats oh, that's so cool. that was cool you know and he just started that company so it's really about kind of reimagining creating things in cool ways this year we're not focusing on any production we're focusing on collaborations with bigger brands that we have coming out that are all made with like higher vibe lower impact materials and i'm also focusing on like bringing all this stuff I love together, like meditation, sound baths, sweat lodges, surfing, and bringing people in experiences. So we're doing retreats this year. So that's kind of where I'm focused because I just cool. want to connect with people again, man. It's time. It seems like a lot of the smartest brands are doing that. They have a product, but the engagement with the brand doesn't start and end with that product because if you like it and you like the philosophy behind it, then they'll offer you an opportunity to take the next step, which is to learn more about the philosophy. Maybe you're a surfer and you like the wetsuit, but you weren't into yoga. So then you get a yoga mat and then maybe from the yoga mat, you want to do the retreat. And then from the retreat, you gain community. So it's a, a more holistic approach to what people need. And as long as it's coming from a genuine place, like I would have a, I would have a problem with like Pepsi Cola creating retreats around a lifestyle. But I think that there are some, some smarter brands, uh, like, yourselves that are embodying a whole philosophy to it that people can continue it's it's almost like a uh, an education course absolutely right? and like coming back to like the full circle aspect of like part of our other conversation was about giving giving people ways to like ground or integrate those practices into their everyday lifestyles like through medicine through meditation all these things so really it's about like yeah surfing is a ritual it's a ritual I really enjoy as is you know yoga meditation and sound but if we can also like have these creative rituals that we can you know invoke and experience together then we can give people rituals to take back to their everyday lives 
lives and it's going to enrich their lives. So it's also about like giving people more tools to make their daily lives better, their families' lives better, their work life better. And then that's like affecting more positive change in the world. So it's like, how can we just affect more people with positivity? And that's by like educating ourselves and each other. And then that continues to spread. So like, that's my hope with mm-hmm. all of this. And then it's just fun because we get to hang out, you know, like somebody was asking me like, well, are you going to be on the retreats? It's like, of course I'm going to be on the retreats. I'm going to be surfing with you guys and I'm going to be leading the sound baths and some of the meditation stuff. Like we're going to be hanging out the whole time. Like that's the point. So yeah. we can be together, you know? That's cool. I love talking to people like you. I, I mean, as I said, I grew up in, in Santa Cruz, uh, as a short border and it was almost like like I wasn't allowed to longboard as a kid yeah it's like it's this very constrictive aspect of surfing that now I look back on and see how silly it is but it's I mean, there's a lot of homophobia a lot of f- just like call, people calling you a fag if you want to write a different surfboard like wait what like this is you guys what we're doing out here is all so po- silly like there are literally people whose job is to program a rover on Mars and we're out surfing little swells that have been co- that have come up here from New Zealand and now we're judging each other on what kind of crafts we want to ride these little swells on like Jesus that's silly and and I, whatever keeps you stoked to do it but it's it's crazy how those kinds of uh constrictive philosophies carry over and how more inclusive philosophies also carry over. Like I said, like you are so psyched on surfing, you uh, ride so many different crafts and it keeps you engaged in it. That's it. No, and I love hearing what you said because like, honestly, that's like, it's so fun hanging out. So things are coming over. Yeah. But like what you said about that, like, dude, really? There's people making, you know, spacecrafts on Mars and we're like riding pieces of foam in the ocean. Like, and we're taking ourselves so damn seriously. Like there's so much serious stuff that exists. Like the ocean is a place to go and play and connect and to bring joy, you know? I got a question for you. How many uh, closet homosexual male professional surfers do you think there are? I feel like there's probably a lot. Me too. I think a lot, you know? I mean, I love like the whole um, Brothers Marshalls down here, how they did the whole GSLA, you know, Um, back in the day. And it was just like they were embracing that aspect of people. Like all people. I don't know this story. Oh, the Brothers Marshall, they had a brand called the Brothers Marshall, but before it was like Gons and before that, and they made this whole thing and it was like a rainbow wave and it was like, you know, the Gay and Lesbian Surfing Association. And they were just trying to embrace that. And they're like straight males, but they would like embrace that aspect in people. And and it was something that they were just trying to make okay. And they were trying to use like, they weren't making fun of it. It was that they were trying to bring levity and humor to the situation because it's so silly that anybody would even care. Right. You know, like who cares? (laughs) You know, but so many people are so stuck and I feel so much for those people because they're just so stuck in themselves that they have to point fingers at stuff and make something not right because they don't feel right within themselves. So I think like, you know, it's it's like a time where I think there's probably a lot more people that are out there, you know, and and probably the people that are most pissed about it are the people that may be holding the most back, you know, the most like uh, repressed potentially. Yeah. Well, it creates a pressure cooker situation, but the more you repress it, the, 
more it oozes out in weird ways. That's exactly it. Look at the Catholic Church. Totally. A perfect example. And it's just all like information, you know? And I think that's the thing about, I'm excited about this time um, in humanity because I think that within that, the layers that we have of more communication it's also giving people opportunities to share their stories more um and also as more stories are coming out it's giving people an opportunity to like be like wow me too or like you know like the me too movement like it's just giving people access to themselves in deeper ways you know it's like our parents generation like if you went to a psychologist you were a crazy person and had to go to a mental institute and it wasn't something that was chill where now people are like yeah my psychologist is like blah 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 like people go to psychologists all the time and it's like normal it's like weird if you don't and and not to say it's weird if you don't but I just think that there's just like more elasticity around a lot of things and I think that surfing is something that is changing like the fact that there's equal prize purse now for like competitive surfing even though competitive surfing isn't my thing it's just showing the layers of equality coming down there's more and more like surfers that have come out all the time I also think that you know as as homosexual yeah 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 more and more all the time you know and I think also it's like something about like you know I'm really into the idea of like not labeling things because the minute we put a label on something it's so we can like understand it with rational minds and like some things aren't to be understood with rational minds feelings it's hard to really rationalize feelings ever you know, because it's like, how do words ever encompass like your true feelings? Like how many words can we use to actually like paint a picture of what that truly feels like to us? So I think like in this time of like all these labels and like kind of, you know, fingers being pointed one way or another are like coming to the surface. I also think it's time to kind of like maybe surrender labels and just be humans. Yeah. Well, uh, is a good example of that, that, a lot of people have a hard time with it because they don't know how it works, right? We want, we want to put the label and, and understand how everything works. And um, the West lacks humility in that regard. Totally. And then it's like, but, you know, and I think that's also like one of those things with like science. It's almost like science had to get to a place to justify a lot of the wisdom of the ancients. Very much so. So now it's quantified. It's like they have brain mappings to show that actually earthing or like they have like, um, you know, those maps that show the inflammation in a body and how just like simply by not having shoes and walking around on the earth actually like decreases your inflammation, which could like, you know, decrease your risks of things like MS or cancer, this, that, and the other. But science had to prove it because if... You know, you go into something, the guy that like found that was just like ripped apart, like science was trying to prove him wrong because they're like, you're crazy. But he grew up on like next to a Cheyenne Indian reservation and the elder when he walked into a teepee was like, what are you doing with those shoes on? They're going to kill you. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like this like time where like technology, it's awesome. And it's also for the skeptics showing that this works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of, um, of science is catching up with ancient wisdom when it comes to, um, the body and health right now. I think that there are, there's also a lot of old ancient traditions that need to die. Like totally clitorectomies. Oh yeah. That's ridiculous. So I think that it's, I mean, there's, we, need to have nuance when we talk about any of these issues. Oh, right? for sure. Um, 
and one of my favorite stories is uh, to to your point about science catching up with ancient wisdom is uh, with a guy named D- Jeff Leach who lives out half the year um, in in uh, I believe it's in the Amazon with the Hadza and the Hadza are a um, a native tribe that has had very little contact with the outside world. Um, I might be getting wrong that they're in the Amazon, but anyway, they have some of the most diverse gut biomes in the world. Interesting. Um, because they're completely surrounded, uh, in the jungle all the time. And one of the issues that, um, the Westerners are having now is that our gut biomes aren't diverse enough. So it results in mood disorders, um, serotonin depletion, autoimmune diseases, um, depression, something like 90% of, uh, serotonin is created in the gut. So if we have these really bland diets, um, and inflamed guts, it can literally affect our moods. Um, so there's something called fecal transplants where people, if they have uh, an autoimmune disease, they'll get the poop from a healthy person and get it shot up their pooper and it can, yeah, and it can save their life. Like it's real serious stuff that, uh, science is now implementing. But, um, one of the findings was that, uh, so you can, you can diversify your gut biome through, uh, eating fermented foods, um, kimchi, kombucha, that kind of stuff. But another way that you can diversify your gut biome is literally by being in the environment. And that's what this, this guy, Jeff Leach is, is proving is that having a diverse ecosystem in your neighborhood, having trees, having animals walking outside in the dirt can diversify your gut biome and could potentially solve your mood disorder. So, I mean, talk about ancient wisdom, like, hey, just go outside, go breathe in the trees. Now science is finally catching up to the point where like, yeah, it actually does diversify your gut biome and helps a lot. I love that. I love that so much. And, and yeah, it's so cool. We just go back to nature and look, but it is very important to outline that things like the clitorectomies and some of the practices of some ancient cultures, but it it are just totally ridiculous and should never be performed and they're harmful. And, you know, they are, um, you know, they're horrible. You know, I can't even say enough bad things about them. But that said, I think like intuitively that makes sense to me. Right. Right. Like if somebody told me that, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to see the data. Like that feels good. If somebody talked to me about what a clitorectomy is, I'm like, that That sounds like a horror show. There's nothing about that that feels like it's intuitively correct at all. Right. You know, so I think it's like goes back to us too. like we have intuition. I think as surfers, that's something that we both have maybe um, more of a connection to because yeah. our intuition connects us with the waves. We know what's up, this, that and the other. Yeah, really, you ever sit out there and you're like, I feel like a wave's going to break right here. Totally. Absolutely. And you're like, yes. Or you're like, dude, I feel like it's sharky. I'm going to get the fuck yeah, out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, so I think like the more we listen to our intuitions in that aspect too, you know, because I mean, I think that's where sometimes our mind gets in the way. Sometimes people need to get proven things and like no judgment, you know, about them. They just need to see the proof quantified, you know, like that science caught up. But if we really know, we kind of know it's right. Like if if we just listen to ourselves and ask like, yeah, what's up? So that's something I always encourage. Like people, when I'm talking to them about sound or anything else, I'm like, well, does this feel like it makes sense to you? Like, how does it feel? Yeah. I think the nuance also that I was um, kind of fumbling around for is, whether or not you are um, 
evoking power over someone else. Never. Like, right? Like, sound healing, it's an offering. You're like, hey, if you're into this, great. If not, no problem. Clitorectomy is, it's, it's, you're forcing power onto someone else against their will. So I think that that nuance of an in, intuition is that you're, you're actually like, when is it okay to, uh, enforce power over another person like almost almost never yeah Yeah. really never you know even with like yeah I mean never is it okay to enforce power and if there is ever power enforced on you like even if somebody is like saying they're a shaman and they're gonna heal you they're just there to hold space for you if somebody's trying to tell you that they're gonna be the one that heals you they're feeding you a bunch of crap Right. It's like charlatan stuff, you yeah. know, where at the end of the day, like people and, and medicine people and shamans and like, you know, energy workers, all that kind of stuff. They're just there to like remind you of the tools to hear your, heal yourself. They're just there to hold space, you know, Hmm. and I think that that's really important. Sometimes they have more of an ability to hold space so they can hold it in a more integral way. So you can let go completely, you know, or if somebody's doing energy on work on you, like they're here to work on a certain thing. But like even with psychotherapy. Like it's something that's an awesome tool, but if you have to spend 20 years going to this person, you've probably developed a codependent relationship and they want something from you in a different way. That's actually not integral or aligned with what they're there to do. Right. Yeah. Any true teacher wants you to surpass them and not need them anymore at a certain point. They want to graduate you. Right. You know? So I think that that's something that's. I think often missed in our culture, people are like, oh, my shaman, my healer, my this, my that, and they go to them for everything. And I think sometimes there's a lot of layers that you got to work through. And at the end of the day, like it is about wanting to graduate. And if they have the intention to graduate you, or if you have bonded in a codependent way that is just not actually keeping the integrity of whatever practice they're practicing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, the, the process is, I I think that sometimes people get caught up in the process be, in an egoic way because it makes them feel more interesting. Like these are the kind of the people who I talk about who do too many psychedelics and they're, they're like the seminar junkies and they're so fascinated with their own process and themselves. And whenever you see them in a party, they just always talk about themselves and their own inner journey and where they are right now. And it's like, I get the sense I'm like, you don't actually want to graduate because you're afraid that it might make you less interesting if you let go of this tortured part of yourself. Totally. It's like maybe not wanting to let go of the program where it's all about shattering the program. Right. Because who am I if I graduate? Who am I if this isn't, if this isn't a deal, like an issue for me anymore? I've heard from a lot of stand-up comedians that they for a while had the belief that if they became psychologically healthy, they wouldn't be funny anymore. That's right. They're like, this is my, this is my edge. And if I start meditating, I'll lose my edge. And you know, it's a lot of people who then did get over that and are still funny and they're more psychologically healthy now. But, um, it's funny. We're so, you know, uh, people's favorite word in any language is their own name. That's interesting. And it's so true. Yeah. It's like letting go of the personality. Like, what are you holding on to? Like, I'm funny because I'm a tortured artist. Right. And because I'm tortured, I can be an artist. Like, I'm a tortured this. And because of that, I can write amazing music because I'm so tortured. Like, 
you can write amazing music because that's a gift you know you don't have to hold on to the tortured part and also like who is it inside of me that doesn't want that wants to hold on to that because that's all i know like what is out of the ego that is like you know feeding me this bullshit when i can be liberated and be funny and be an artist and do all this that and the other you know and i think that's part of the journey for everybody to have at their time it's like wherever they are it's where they need to be like if that person needs to hold on to it that's where they need to hold on to i just have an issue when somebody's enforcing where they're on at somebody else and you know what i mean like that's something that like bothers me and it's a bummer because there's a lot of that going on and always has gone on. Um, and I just hope for people that they listen to their intuition and times and, and don't take somebody else's trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I was in some improv classes for a little while. Super fun. Um, Saturday mornings and, uh, they, there was this one, uh, exercise we do where each person is an emotion and one person's having a party. And the person, they won the lottery, and you're going to their party. And let's say you, Cassie, are anger, and I'm anxiety, and uh, another person is happiness. And you walk in, and when, every, when a new person walks into the party, everyone else in the party takes on their emotion. So you go in, and you're angry, and then everyone's also like, oh, why did she have to win the lottery? I can't believe she did that. And then anger leaves. And anxiety is there. And then okay, everyone's kind of anxious about what's going to happen with the money and how are we going to spend it. Then anxiety leaves and then it's just happiness and happiness is there. But it's this, it's an illustration of how when someone with a bad vibe walks into a room, everyone else takes on their energy. Yes. Or someone with a good vibe. Or somebody with a good vibe. Some, totally. Yeah. Totally. And it's interesting because that's an interesting thing to be aware of and hold space for yeah. and actually not... We talk about it in this meditation circle I'm a part of every Monday. I'm going tonight if you want to come with me. Cool. You should. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things actually that is part of um, something that we've talked about is that idea of radiating instead of resonating. And when we're resonating with each other, like somebody's like, you know, you're holding space for a friend. They're like, dude, I've had a shitty day. And like this person broke up with me and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh man, yeah, me too. Like I know. And, and you know, like this person was being an asshole and like whatever the, you know, like this is going on. And then you're just like resonating with them. Like where you don't actually have to go into their space. You could just be like, I hear you and I'm sorry. Right. Because people just want to be heard. You don't have to get into that space. And then maybe that offers that person or whatever that energy you know, it's like the mind of the room, like where's the mind of the room and kind of like how we're all co- connected potentially in that collective conscious space. And again, I don't want to like project how I think about. No, but the but sum is certainly greater than all of its counterparts. Totally. And so in that kind of context too, we and our counterparts, just like you going on the beach and picking up trash, it feels good to you. And then somebody else was on the beach to witness you. So it gives them an opportunity to think about themselves differently. Maybe they were just going to toss something, but they see you going by and picking up trash. It's not even yours. And they're going to second guess it. So it's like affecting change. So like us having the awareness to hold space for somebody in a way or a room without by radiating our light and not resonating and doing our internal work, it really has a potential kind of to, flip that yeah yeah i um (laughs) i always notice that when i hang out with certain people um i'll start talking shit about other people more 
and I'll notice myself too. I'm like, man, why am I spending this mental energy talking shit about this person who I probably haven't seen in years? It's just, I'm like, oh, oh, when I'm around you, I just talk shit. And then when I'm around another person, um, I'll more consistently talk about ideas. And when I'm around another person, I'll more consistently talk about movements. So I think about that. I'm like, oh, what, what are the kinds of conversations I want to be having? Is it a conversation about another person or is it a conversation about an idea or a movement? And it's, a, it's an interesting exercise to think about, like, what, what people in your life do you, are you with and talk shit about with, you know, with them? Or are you talking shit about other people or what, what people are you talking about movements with? That's it, you know, definitely. Yeah, it's like you have some of your friends that are like, dude, those are my friends, and every time we go out, we get wasted at a bar, and I feel like shit the next day. Right. Or whatever, you know, like... And then, like, there's other friends that, like, every time we hang out, we talk about magical things, and I leave feeling better, and we, like, go on a hike or, like, go surfing or go camping. It's the best. Like, you know, and I think it's just having that discernment. Discernment's been a word that I've been, like, vibing into lately because it's, like, you can still have love for certain people, and it's not a way of judging them, but it's just more of a way of being, like, okay, an awareness and me choosing not to be around that person as much because I know it doesn't pull the best out of me. And it's not like I don't want to be around them because I love them as a person. Or if I am going to go into a thing, just being really aware of myself and holding that space. So mm. maybe that they could actually feel more of like what I'm bringing in. Yeah. There's, I find that there's a breaking down process too. Like when I'm around those kinds of people, uh, I'm good for a little while, but then after, you know, on day two or three, then I start to succumb to talking more shit, drinking more, doing things that I'm like, ah, why am I doing this again? It's almost like it, like it chips away at you. It chips away at you. And then there's a, you know, I, uh, God, what's the quote? It's by a guy named Tim Ferriss. He says, uh, you are the sum of the people you, you you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with most. That I I love that quote. I love that quote. And yeah, I feel like it's true because it's like, where where are you choosing to, you know, exist? Like what energy space? So definitely, and, and like whatever you are, you call in in that way too, you know? Like, so it's like there's different aspects of ourselves that are in everything, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's like, but what are we choosing to align with at this moment? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And all just like good information. Right. You know, it's like so shit good that, not to shit judge that ourselves. Was, shit that wasn't taught in school. Shit that wasn't taught in school for <laughs> sure. The, the school of life and learning and lessons. And that's what's so rad. It's just like in this place, it's like, yeah, I think if anything, it's just like being aware of and not judging myself or at like, you know, I've done stupid things in my life. I've like said things I wish I could take back, but it just informed me and, and gave me information on like who I am and like owning that kind of shadow self and owning that light self. You know, it's like, there's a part of all of us that is, you know, which is why we have the freaking president. We do. It's like highlighting like the shadowiest self of all of us. And in that it's an opportunity to change and it's pulling the light out of so many more people than ever before that (laughs) exposure. I really feel like people were passionate voters this last time around. Dude, People are amped. (laughs) And I think it was almost like even too close in a way that's getting going to get people more amped, Right? you know, like, and I hope people get more amped. And if you're not a voter, please vote because we need you to pay attention. (laughs) 
But it's just like, yeah, like, you know, when we're all sitting back chilling and everything seems groovy, there's all this stuff be happening behind the surface and we're just activating more. We're just getting aware more. I never would vote before in the midterms. And now I'm just like amped about it and I want to know more. So it's just all more information for us, you know, and it sucks that it has to go here. And I hope we get them out sooner than later. But, but that said, it's it, uh, maybe it's the forest fire we need. That's exactly it. That's where it's like, you know, I don't want to be like cheesy. There's like a silver lining to every cloud. But in that way, it's like not even cheesy. It's true. You know, it's like there is something to hold on to. And if we're choosing not to radiate with the fear and see the part that is an opportunity, because in every shitty moment, there's this opportunity. And the shittier the moment, potentially, potentially, the bigger the opportunity. And I think it's like right now, it's about in, in my life, personally, focusing on those opportunities and those moments that maybe it would look like a failure with running your own business. Like I've made some stupid ass mistakes in that business. And those mistakes were like actually an opportunity for me to learn the most I've ever learned about myself. Just like when my house caught on fire last year, it was the biggest opportunity for me to surrender when I thought I had already surrendered and grow in a different way and learn, yeah. you know? Mess, what mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. Yeah, you don't want to miss those takes. That's it, man. And here's a quote. This is like one quote that stuck with me that my friend Paz told me that um, uh, Kathleen Oritz or something. I I need to fact check the name right now. I've had a lot of concussions, so I'm not totally great at. You're doing great. This has um, been so fun. Well, we got lion's mane. You know, it's blood brain barrier magic. Um. But uh, basically, it goes like, for a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must become completely undone. Its shells crack, its insides spill out, and everything changes. To those who don't understand evolution, it would look like complete destruction. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Where I'm can, stoked. I'm so stoked. Where can people get in touch with you? What's your Instagram? Um, my Instagram. Sorry. I think I kicked that. You're thing. good. Uh, my Instagram is Cassia Surf, K-A-S-S-I-A Surf, S-U-R-F. And they can find us on our website, CassiaSurf.com. Come on a retreat and hang out with us. And uh, yeah, you can find info on our website and on Instagram for retreats and all the sound work and everything we're up to. So thanks for the support. Excellent. Right on. That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called The Mill by The Great Apes. These guys listen to the podcast and they sent me some music. If you're a musician and you want your music played at the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send those little voice memos that I love to play at the be beginning of the show. Just click the voice memo app on your phone, record 30 seconds to a minute of audio. Uh, let me know who you are, where you're listening from. Where are you in this moment right now? Uh, and email it to info at kyle.surf. Um, once again, this is an ad-free podcast. So if you can donate on Patreon, 
Uh, I would really appreciate it. Patreon's also a good place to get in touch with me uh, if you want to send me a message there, as well as on my website, kyle.surf, in any of the comments I check there. Uh, if you can't donate, don't worry about it. You know, it's just keep listening. Share the show with a friend. Um, one thing that really does help is when you leave a rating on iTunes for this show. Um, it helps new people find the podcast. It, you know helps new listeners know that this podcast doesn't suck completely um and it takes you a minute and doesn't cost you anything um my final ask is amazon uh, i'm an amazon affiliate so you can go to my website kyle.surf slash book club and you can click the amazon link there and if you use that link for any of your purchases like anything you buy on amazon just use that link and i get a small percentage of of it at no cost to you um so it's if you buy shit on Amazon, please use that link and save it and, and use it every time because uh, it gets me money and allows me to keep this show ad free, which I know you all appreciate. Um, finally, I'm going to direct you now back to episode uh, 29 of the podcast with Leah Dawson. Uh, this is a quick clip of the show um, and then we're going to go straight into the song but uh, if you want to go back to episode number 29 with Leah Dawson um, it's similar to this one um, so for you might dig it and with that I bid you farewell and we'll see you soon my goal is to inspire first and foremost the teenage age um, girls that are 12 girls that are 17 even into their early 20s um we're so malleable at that age right and and we're really just trying to fit in and we're really trying to fit in it's a really awkward time
I'm coming home.